0: Thanks, Anna. So when I asked myself, what were those sermons that had the biggest impact on my spiritual growth? I realised that it wasn't because the preacher was entertaining or told some funny stories or had excellent structure or had an engaging delivery style, even though those things can be helpful. It was because the message was life-changing. The message compelled me to look within myself and realise that I needed to change some aspects of my life if I really had that desire to draw closer to God. So, I reckon we should pray this as a whole church. Won't you join me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that you freely give us. We ask you now that you prepare our hearts to receive your word and we ask that our ears will hear what you are saying to each and every one of us. Help us to change through your Holy Spirit so that we can draw closer to you so that we can become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ears. We all have them. And I don't think too many of us would say that their ears were their most attractive feature. Most of us might say that they stick out too far or they're too big my daughter actually complains that her ears are too small. Now, they are pretty small. And she even has trouble getting, Was it, like those AirPod things inside? She can't get them in because they keep on falling out because her ears are so small. But whatever their size, their function is to hear things. But the problem is that many of us suffer from selective hearing. You know, when you hear someone telling you something, but instead of the brain deciphering the message and storing it, the word sort of dissipate into the ether, as if they have never been spoken at all. This happens to me often, much to the frustration of my family. They call it Vagoland. Oh, Dad, you're in Vagoland again! Huh? Oh, sorry. What did, what did you say? My lame excuses. that my small brain is quite limited, and it struggles to process the information when it's already working at maximum capacity. In reality, I think that I've just simply prioritised my thoughts somewhere else. Or maybe it's just that what they're saying, to me, is difficult to accept. And we can definitely tend to have selective hearing when responding to God's word coming. The final verse of today's passage in Revelation reminds us of this. Verse 29 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just because we hear the message it doesn't mean that we're actually listening. It's the old, in one ear and out the other syndrome. Thankfully, we've asked God this morning to give us some help in staying with this passage and to soften our hearts through his word. So how did we get to hear this message anyway? Well, we're in the book of Revelation, and we find that Jesus reveals himself to John on the island of Patmos in a vision. And he tells him to write down everything he sees and hears and sent it to the seven churches in the province of Asia. But this is far more than a letter to seven small, somewhat dysfunctional churches in the area of Turkey. The number seven represents completeness in the Bible. This is actually a love letter from Jesus to us, to all the believers, to all the churches throughout all time totally appropriate to remove one of the churches from the original list and replace it with St. Martin's Calara. This letter is for us, for everyone. No wonder he keeps reminding us to listen with the ears that he's given us. It's our opportunity to hear the words of Jesus straight from his mouth. But it's not a soppy love letter where Jesus whispers sweet nothings to us. He loves us so much that in these letters he speaks words of loving encouragement, but also of guidance and of warnings of the consequences if his instruction is not followed. It's tough love. Some of this stuff is not easy to hear. It would have been confronting to the seven churches in Asia, and the challenges in this letter remain for us today. So last week Matt walked us through the letters of the first two churches, Ephesus and Smyrna. Today, we're digging in what was written to the next two churches, Pergamum and Theotira. You might remember that last week Matt described these letters as like a spiritual report card for the churches. Well, unlike school reports today, where the teachers are encouraged to say everything as inoffensively as possible, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat his message to the churches. He says exactly what he means. The letter to the church of Pergamon begins with a pretty big statement. Verse 13 says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Wow, that's some declaration of a church. Why would he say this? Well, two reasons, actually. During this time, there was a temple and altar in Pergamum dedicated to the Greek god Zeus. And it was built strategically so that it could be seen from all directions. The temple and altar was said to have the appearance of a throne. And pagan worshippers considered Zeus as the supreme god, more powerful than all the other Greek gods. And in addition, worship of the Roman emperor as a living god had also gained acceptance in the Roman Empire. Pagan feasts honouring both the emperor and the local Greek gods were held regularly, where idol worship and sexual immorality were commonplace. And there was great pressure for the local citizens To participate. So it kind of does sound like Satan's got a pretty good foothold in this city. Even more confronting, not only were citizens expected to praise the local gods in these feasts, but to also show their allegiance to the the emperor, they were asked to throw down curses on Jesus. Now to their credit, the majority of the church of Pergamum resist. But the persecution becomes so strong that one of their members, Antipas, is killed for his resistance. Jesus is aware of the battle they face and encourages them in verse 13. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Jesus commends them on their courageous stand to resist the pressure to conform to society's expectations. The fact that one of their number was killed for his faith only magnifies the challenges they face. But not everyone in the church at Pergamon gets such glow a glowing report card. While most of the church stayed strong in their faith, others were being led astray by the false teaching of firstly Balaam in verse 14 and the Nicolaitans in verse 15. In contrast to the courage of Antipas, who was killed for his faith, a section of the church were prepared to compromise their faith and follow these false teachings which allowed participation in this idolatrous and immoral behaviour during these feasts. Jesus calls for these church members to repent and warns them of the consequences if they continue to compromise their faith. So how about the church of Theoterae? Well, at first glance, they seem to be doing pretty well. Or are they? Jesus says to them in verse 19, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance. Well, that sounds pretty good so far. But this is followed by, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Well, talk about a backhanded compliment. But at least it sounds like they're on the right track now. But then Jesus exposes the cracks. Whilst only a small minority of the church of Pergamum were compromising their faith, it looks like just about the whole church of Theotera were doing so. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality. But she is unwilling. Now throughout the Bible, false teachers were largely motivated, motivated by greed. They were telling the people what they wanted to hear. And the people were willing to pay handsomely. No wonder she was, willing, she was unwilling to repent. Her lies were filling her pockets. And the people were fine with handing over their cash. Because they were happy to have their sinful lives justified by a so-called prophet. And Jesus also calls on these followers to repent. Now for the few who have resisted, he gives this encouragement in verse 24 and 25. Now I say to the rest of you in Theotira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. What comforting words this must have been to those believers who were under such pressure to conform to the world. All I want you to do is stay strong to what you know is true. Don't compromise your faith. Now, unlike the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira, what are we tolerating that is in direct opposition to God's word? Tolerance is a pretty hot buzzword in 21st century Australian society. We are all called to be tolerant, inclusive of all things. Now I looked up the word tolerance in the dictionary. And here are some of the words that were listed under it. Unbiased, open-minded, patient, sympathetic, understanding, easygoing. Well, I think we'd all like to be described like that, wouldn't we? But then what about the opposite? Intolerant. I looked up intolerant as well. This is what the dictionary said. Narrow-minded, rigid, inflexible, unforgiving, bigoted, prejudiced. I can't think of anyone who wants to be described like that. So I can see how society sees tolerance as a good thing. And I totally agree that as Christians, we should be inclusive and accepting in our attitude to others, But not always tolerant. Not when someone's view is in opposition to God's word. Jesus makes it very clear to the churches in Pergamon that they are tolerating behaviour that is offensive to his holiness. I find it interesting that some find our Christian view as offensive. Oh, I'm offended by your Christian viewpoint. As if they expect me to say... I'm so sorry, I never meant to hurt your feelings. How can I make it up to you? When what we should be saying is, well, God's offended by your viewpoint too. But just like the churches in Pergamum and Theatira, we are under immense pressure from society to go along with their cries to accept and value and affirm all points of view, whether it contravenes God's word or not. Let me tell you a story. This is a true story. In my previous church, it wasn't an Anglican church, I was employed as a family and children's pastor. And it was my first full-time ministry role and I was really excited by the opportunity. And things were going really well. It was a fairly small church, but numbers were growing and the future looked bright. Then in one day, my world came crashing down. A member of the pastoral team announced that she was gay and was having a relationship with one of the other elders. I was totally rocked by this. But what was even more of a surprise, that I soon found that the senior minister and the elders were totally fine with this. And I said, are you okay with it too? Well, my initial impulse was to blurt out, no, I'm definitely not okay with it. But I said that I needed time. I went home and searched the scriptures to see what God was really saying on the topic. Because I was getting so many different interpretations and views from a whole range of people. I spent several weeks searching through the Bible, praying that God would give me wisdom. In the end, his word confirmed to me that God was not okay with it. So, therefore, I can't be okay with it. By this stage, it was apparent to me that the church was not going to change their position. So my only option, if I was going to stay true to my faith and to God was to resign. I said that I'd stay to the end of the year while they looked for a replacement. It was the longest three months of my life. It took everything in me to walk out my front door each day and head off to work in what was now a toxic environment. On top of that, I didn't have another job to go to. But God is faithful and he gave me the strength to get through that very hard time. And in his perfect timing, two weeks before I was finishing up, I noticed an that, for a youth and children's minister at some Anglican church in Kalara, God is faithful. When we do go through trials, when we are tempted to compromise our beliefs, God is with us. Remember what Jesus said to the faithful in Theatio, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus describes Pergamum as the place where Satan has his throne, where he lives. Are things any different in our 21st century world? After all, Jesus himself describes Satan as the prince of this world in John 12, 31. What are the challenges we face right here at St Martin's? Maybe we're a little too accepting and tolerant of some world views that are not consistent with God's word. Maybe we're worried that we will be labelled as a bigot or a hater, because we are standing for God's truth. Just as in the days of Revelation, being persecuted for standing up for what you believe in is alive and well in our society. Just ask Israel Palau, or Margaret Court. But I also found a few other words in the dictionary when I looked up the word intolerant, and they paint a slightly different picture to the previous ones. Next to intolerant I found unshakable. Unwavering, uncompromising. When it comes to standing firm in my faith with Jesus, there are some words I definitely would like to describe me. And I looked up uncompromising in the dictionary as well, and this is how the Cambridge Dictionary defines uncompromising. If people or their beliefs are uncompromising, they are fixed and do not change, especially when faced with opposition. Now, that's the kind of stand that I think Jesus would be into. After all, he's already won the victory through his death and the cross and his resurrection. We see how public opinion and worldviews are constantly changing. A generation ago, marriage was considered so irrelevant and unnecessary that the suggestion was that we should just ignore the whole institution and just live together. But now marriage is considered so wonderful and relevant that it should be open to anyone. Who knows how the world will think in another 20 years? But God does not change. God's word does not change. We live in a world where technology is changing at an incredible rate, where political leaders come and go at the drop of a hat, and where public opinion and worldviews twist and turn, sometimes daily. Friends, we face a daily barrage of noise from different voices spruking different views all screaming at us that their view is the right one and you are just ignorant amongst other things if you don't agree with them. Our challenge is to cut through all this misinformation and then cling onto the truth, God's truth, the one and only truth. Friends, as I was preparing this message, I was praying to God for a verse that could summarise today's passage. In my quiet times this week, I've been reading 1 Corinthians, and the other day these verses jumped off the page to me. It's 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. It says, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. I said a big thanks to God for that one. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. I think if we follow that command, with God's help, we'll stick to the right path. This love letter is a real blessing to us. He says so himself. In Revelation 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So, congratulations Anna, you've been officially blessed because you were our Bible reader today. And there it says, And blessed are those who hear it which is the rest of us, so that's great. But wait, not so fast. There's a part B to the verse. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. It's one of those, this will happen if you do this kind of verses. So what's Jesus saying? Don't use selective hearing on this passage. Don't be a sufferer of In one ear and out the other syndrome. Hearing without listening doesn't help us. At the end of each of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, Jesus finishes with the same statement each time. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven letters, seven times he says it. Kind of get the feeling that he thinks it's pretty important, don't you? God's word is life-giving. It's life-changing. Let's pray that God will help us use this passage to change us, to become more like him. Let's pray. Our gracious, merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you do not change, that your word does not change. Whilst everything around us is moving at such a rapid pace, we thank you that we can be secure in the knowledge that you are our steadfast rock, our solid foundation. We also ask that you give us courage to stand firm in your word, to be strong when the world opposes us, opposes you. And Lord, we pray that you soften our hearts so that we not only hear your word this morning, but also apply it to our lives. Change us, Lord, so that we may draw closer to you. And we pray this in your precious name.